0: If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text.
1: How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor, without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part.
0: The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life.
1: But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both.
0: I don't think any form of
1: Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with
0: the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? Hey, welcome everyone to Jesus Never Ran. Always great to be with you. Of course, this episode, as well as most of the Jesus Never Ran episodes, are sponsored by Angie Niska with Rise Nutrition. You can find them at Rise Menominee on Facebook. And if you go to the show notes, you can get your free wellness profile by clicking the link there. That's Rise Nutrition with Angie Niska. Again, that's Rise Menominee. Rise is with a Z. Oh, we have a great guest on the show today. I think you're going to love it. This gentleman has some unique perspectives that you can only get from the experience that he has had in life. So this week on the show, enjoy my interview with Jay Baker.
1: My name is uh, Jay Baker. I am a 45-year-old gentleman, author, speaker. I've ran Revolution Church for about almost 25 years I have a church that I now call a gathering and not very comfortable with the title pastor much anymore but uh do pretty much the same stuff those guys do so that that's what I do and I I had a really weird childhood.
0: Yeah, speaking of that weird childhood, Jay, as I mentioned before we started recording, I don't want to belabor this childhood that you had, but why don't you share with the listeners for anybody who doesn't know where you came from, who your parents are. Just share a little bit about that so we can just get that off of our chest and move on to other things. (laughs)
1: Okay. Well, I mean, luckily in in September of this year, uh, there's a movie coming out called The Eyes of Tammy Faye That's Jessica Chastain will be playing my mom and Andrew Garfield will be my dad. So hopefully that's good. And so I can just tell people to watch that. But till then, we'll do this. My parents are two kids from the Midwest who met each other in uh, Minnesota at a Bible college and started a children's ministry together doing puppets and traveling around the world doing that and got really good at it. And one day got put on TV. And part of the deal that my dad had with putting his children's television show on TV is that he could do a late night talk show. The guy who owned the station was a person a lot of people may have heard of, a guy named Pat Robertson. And so my dad started a late night TV show called The 700 Club. And that was kind of the beginning of that, like, talk show format of Christian television. Eventually, the owner of the network decided he wanted to host the 700 Club. And so then my dad started another Christian television station, my mom and dad, called TBN. And then those folks decided they wanted to do that. So then my dad started something called the PTL Television Network. It was actually the first, one of the first, I think, three satellite networks in the world. And the first satellite, Christian Television Network. The PTL Television Network presents Jim Baker. Praise the Lord.
0: See the things that she has
1: And then they started, what they wanted to do was a retreat center, but ended up becoming like having a water park and uh, hotels and things like that because they realized people just wanted more and then also when you bring your kids to a religious retreat kids want to do something besides listen to speakers all day but my parents became the biggest televangelists in the world and so my dad filmed five shows a week plus did his uh, church my mom did 10 shows a week plus did church on sunday and um, they did a lot of great stuff and a lot of weird stuff. My dad had to raise a million dollars every two days to keep the place open. So he got really into the prosperity gospel is, I mean, gosh, I can't imagine having that type of budget. I couldn't rise in a million dollars in 20 years, much less a million
0: dollars in two days. No kidding.
1: But they became huge and everybody watched them. Um, Christians, non-Christians, Baptists who weren't supposed to watch you know, could watch it at home because no one knew. So, I mean, it's so funny, all the people from all different backgrounds I meet who watched my parents growing up, but my parents were entertaining. And I think their basic message was, is God loves you. You know, Jesus loves you and you can make it. That was kind of their message. And then in the eighties, there was a huge scandal involving my dad and a woman and a pastor came in to say he was going to help restore them. My dad trusted the pastor, the pastor ended up taking the church over. My parents lost everything. A few years later, my dad went to prison for five years for what was mail fraud and wire fraud, which basically boils down to they said that they didn't think he was gonna complete what he was building. The the scandal was huge. I mean, it was Saturday Night Live skits, it was every late night show.
0: As you all know, our world of television ministries has been rocked
1: by scandal. (laughs) Who are these people? Responsible Christian broadcasters or greedy media sluts? I'm honestly grateful that there was no social media at the time. I honestly don't think my family would have survived it physically, definitely not mentally. And it was wild to watch your parents going from like the number one Christian entertainment to all of a sudden the butt of the joke or the warning of the message. You know, I mean, I remember sitting in youth groups and hearing youth pastors make fun of my parents. I remember sitting in big churches and having pastors say, don't be like Jim and Tammy, you know, because they didn't know I was there. I learned a lot of empathy for people that that I still have that a lot of people don't have empathy for. I also kind of became disgusted with the idea of scapegoating people for other purposes. So that's what I grew up in. And I mean, I had bodyguards as a kid and things like that. So I, I grew up in a really surreal world until about 11 years old. And then I lived in really a dark reality for quite a few years after that.
0: When you say that you lived in a dark reality, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, I mean... You know, being raised by my mom because my dad was in prison, fistfights in high school because of my parents' stuff, not feeling like he belonged in any church or anything because everybody had an opinion. And I was always, like, focused on because it was like, oh, there's that guy's kid, you know, those people's child. So I ended up going to public school because I wasn't going to a Christian school, but they treated me so bad at the Christian school that um, I had to go somewhere where I was a little bit more anonymous. And, and public school was at least that. My parents got divorced when my dad was in prison. Um, I was actually the one who told my dad that my mom was leaving him through some unfortunate events of me just having to be there visiting when that happened for the first time by myself because I was 16. You know, drug addiction, alcohol, depression, undiagnosed learning disabilities. So, yeah, that was, I mean, it was a dark time, but it was also a great time you know, because I did, uh, you know, I got into punk rock. I mean, I was always kind of into that, but skateboarding and things like that. I had a good crew of friends that really stuck by me and really loved me. So that was cool, but it was still tough. It was tough to spend Christmas in a hotel in a new town where you didn't know where anything was because you just wanted to see your dad that day. As a kid, it was, uh, it was tough to go through and it was, uh, I felt very lost, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I think a lot of people, myself included, were, I guess the right word would be shocked when you made the decision to yourself become a pastor, go into ministry work. I think a lot of people who would have experienced anything remotely like what you experienced would have likely tried to do just about anything for a living other than what you've decided to do with your life. So can you walk us through that just a little bit of how you got from that stage of your life to the point where still to this day in ministry work?
1: Well, I mean, in some ways it kind of happened by accident. I didn't do very well in school. I dropped out of high school and um worked really hard on getting my dad's prison sentence reduced. So I worked with lawyers and different things like this to try cuz my dad originally had 45 years. Oh wow. Which was insane. It was just insane. When my dad got out of prison, I was pretty much full-blown alcoholic. Okay. And I was living with him and I don't think he was realized he was ready to be like with a kid who's drunk and partying all the time. You know what I mean? Right, but I was also working on his case. So I thought I'd done my deeds and now it was just now I could live my life. And weird thing that happened was, is he was like, he gave me an ultimatum um, because all of a sudden we weren't getting along. Cause you know, you have these dreams of like, when he gets out of prison, everything's going to be great. You know, it wasn't, he said, you know, go to Arizona and join this thing called master's commission and see if you like it, just go. And if you just go and see if you like it, I'll, I'll help you out. But if you don't go, you're on your own. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll go check it out. And I went to the, this thing called Master's Commission, and I lasted about a week. It's like this ministry training thing, and I just was not, like, fit for it. But there were a couple folks who had come out of that and were starting this thing called Revolution. It was like this, like, ministry to punk rock kids and skaters and all this stuff. And that's all the stuff I loved. And so I was talking to those guys, and I said, you know what? I'd like to help you get this thing on its feet. I think we could do something really cool here. So, they were like, sure. So, I went to the Master's Commission people and said, this is what I want to be doing. Could you just, like, let me do this? And they're like, you can't be a part of this and do that. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to do that. Called my dad. I'm like, good news and bad news. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was just excited that I was doing ministry. So, he didn't care. He was like, great. Fantastic. Praise God, you know. So, did the revolution thing and started out with some friends. We did some really cool work, but we were still evangelical, you know?
0: I was going to ask, what was what was the hope with that? What was kind of your mission behind that?
1: You know, for me, the mission at the time was to just reach kids that were falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who hung out outside church, you know, and didn't feel like they belonged. So I, that was my thing was just like, let's just see if we can create something where we can create an alternative to church. And I got the skateboard and book Punk bands and promote shows. And so it was like kind of the best of all these worlds come together. Yeah. But about a year into it, I couldn't do it anymore because. The theology wasn't settling right with me.
0: Jay, what were some of the specific things that yeah you started to struggle with from a theological perspective? Because a lot of people listening may be in that exact same space where they're sitting in a church or they're working at a church and they're starting to feel a little bit of that unsettledness of not lining up with some of the church teachings or theologies. There wasn't a lot of deep theology here. We're talking about
1: <laughs> you know evangelicals. No, uh, no, no, I don't mean that in an offensive (laughs) way at all. I'm just saying, like, you kind of have the evangelical theology figured out if you've raised in it, you know what I mean? It's like, if you you go to hell, if you're good, you're good, you know what I mean? And do good things for Jesus. But for me, I liked to hang out with kids who didn't want anything to do with revolution. That Mm -hmm. was what I was intrigued by. I was intrigued by the people who were like, oh man, screw that stuff. So I was like, well, I'm going to go hang out with these guys. And at least they're going to see me, who's like a pastor type person hanging out with them. And we can have cool conversations. And I wasn't the first pastor of Revolution. So my friend who was, was kind of like, I'm a little concerned about you hanging out with these guys. Kind of in that old evangelical way of like, what kind of friends are you keeping? Now me, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just hanging out with them. I liked it. You know what I mean? I liked going to the coffee shops with them and, and hanging out and skating with them and having conversations. I just thought it was interesting And I was kind of the odd man out with that crew. And I always kind of liked being the odd man out. But then I started to feel like God hated me. Hmm. You know what I mean? I started to feel like I wasn't doing something right. And I didn't know what that was. I wasn't know if I was like, oh, I lust after girls. Maybe God doesn't like me for that reason or... I went out of town a few times and drank, and I thought, well, maybe that was it. You know, maybe God's disappointed with me over that. And,
0: Do you think that was like rooted in the way you grew up, or was it more rooted in the people that were surrounding you at the beginning of this? So both, both. the way okay. I grew up,
1: and this was our umbrella church wasn't Assemblies of God Church, so they were overseeing us, and and then everybody who was doing it had was raised in the Assemblies of God Church. So I just felt like this amount of guilt and something wasn't right and I wasn't able to spend time with the people that I really cared about and so I left I just left I just felt like this isn't what I want you know I can't live up to these expectations that I thought God had on me or religion or what something there was something greater than myself that didn't like me it was partially me it was partially myself that wasn't comfortable with being who I was you know
0: I think that's such a, a common story when we get down to like the core of who we are that we probably all feel a little bit that same way, and a lot of times we'll put that on other people or on, uh, you know, divinity or whatever. So, what was the process for you? I mean, I talked to so many people who say similar things to what you just said. So, what was the process for you to get to that space to understand that it was you that was creating the struggles in your mind and your heart?
1: And I will say this, it wasn't just me, it was also other people around me telling me how I should think, or like if I went on a date, you know, I was getting a hundred questions from my Christian friends about what did you do? And was, you know what I mean? So it was like, you felt like you were like being watched. But what happened was, is my dad was doing like a retreat or something. He was trying to find this his feet and where he was. And so he's had all these pastor friends out. And For a while, I lived in Atlanta, Georgia uh, with this family. Took me in when my dad was in prison because my dad was in Georgia. So they let me live there and go to their school and become a member of their family. And they were really amazing. And so my friend DE, who was like my brother in a way, was at this event and it was in North Carolina. And so I was only going for the weekend, right? So I go and I told dad, I'll just pick up the speakers at the the airport and just help out, you know, I just come down and help out. He's said, like, great. And I was talking to my friend, Donnie Earl, Paul, who goes by D.E. Polk Now we were outside talking and I was having a cigarette and I said, I think God hates me. You know, I said, I, I honestly think God hates me. I said, I feel guilty all the time. You know, I'm what, 19, 20, you know, probably living the cleanest life I'd ever lived in my life. The only reason I had a cigarette there is because I went out and bought a pack that day, you know, because I was just feeling so overwhelmed. And I was like, felt like I was gonna let my dad down because he was so proud of what I was the work I was doing out in Arizona and stuff. And and D E said, you know what, Jay, you're full of shit. You're basically making Christ's death in vain. That's exactly what he said to me. He pulled a Galatians Paul
0: on <laughs> Yes, he did.
1: And I was like, What do you mean? And he's like, You're trying to earn your salvation, man. You know, basic mainline theology. He's True. giving me, but I didn't know what this was. You know, I didn't grow up with this basic man. We didn't talk about grace growing up. <laughs> and so I was like, hmm. And honestly, I thought in my head when he said this to me, I said, whatever helps you sleep at night, buddy. I mean, that's what I thought. I thought. <laughs> I this that. guy thinks he's found a loophole. But that weekend I called my buddies in Arizona and said, I'm not coming back. And I said, D.E., can I come back and live in Atlanta with you? And, you know, we'd be roommates. And he's like, sure, man. And he's like, I'm doing this youth pastor thing, blah, 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 blah. I was like, great. I just want to come back. I'll help you out when I can. Moved back there. Got a job at the Gap, of all places, because they were <laughs> doing their punk rock thing. And so I had blue hair. So they were like, eh, we'll hire you. So I was like, great. Perfect. Got a job. Living my life. Kind of made the decision that if, you know, God was there, that I would make a deathbed conversion. I'm like, I'm going to drink. I'm going to live. I'm going to do my thing. You know, and it wasn't like, I was just like, I'm just going to have a beer at dinner. You know, it was like, I was drinking like DE would like come pick me up at bars late in the middle of the night, you know, and sometimes I would get home and not know how I got home. So there was a, a drinking problem happening. But one day again, I was outside having a cigarette and, um, I just felt this just horrible, horrible guilt that something was missing. And I went in and I said, DE, I said, listen, man. If this gray shit you're talking about is true, I need you to prove it to me. You've got to prove it to me.
0: And the moral of this story is all great, meaningful conversations with Jay Baker happen when he's smoking a cigarette, right? That's, yes. that's the moral?
1: Or, or nicotine mints now. <laughs> Way to go. So D.E. said, uh, read Galatians. I said, really? And then after I read Galatians, he said, read Romans. And read Corinthians, and I think it was Ephesians after that. And I was floored. And what floored me was, was this message that Paul had of grace. And I know that that's not what a lot of people get out of Paul. He's a complex character, and he's also, a few forgeries have been made in his name, in my opinion. But what I was reading was pretty much Pauline, and it shook me, this idea of grace. And these things hit me so hard. And I remember I called my dad late one night, and I said, Dad, and this was kind of before my dad started going real right-wing, called my dad and said, why didn't we talk more about this growing up? And we weren't really a very spiritual family at home. There wasn't a lot of Bible talk at home. You know, like we watched movies and went swimming, and I played with G.I. Joe's and He-Man and all that stuff. It, we just, it wasn't over a religious atmosphere at my house. It was when I when we went to school and we went to youth camp and when we went to you know, Wednesday night church, that's where most of that stuff came in. Because you would just assume
0: based on your growing up that your entire life was just inundated with over spirituality, but that wasn't really the case. That's really interesting.
1: No. Yeah. The legalism came more from, yeah, more from the people who worked for my parents than my parents.
0: Isn't it interesting, Jay, that when we're talking about You know, even the upbringing that that you're coming from, a lot of people in that space, Assemblies of God, evangelical circles, grace is the thing that's used to describe what's going on. But once you really have an understanding of what grace is, you realize that what you were experiencing, what you were hearing about growing up or earlier in your life was something that was being called grace, but actually wasn't.
1: No, yeah. It was really kind of a bait and switch kind of thing. I mean, I thought grace was like, come up to the front, you're saved, now get your life together. And so, when I talked to my dad about it, he was like, yeah, it's pretty good news, right? And he's like, but the problem is it seems too good to be true. And so, I've always struggled with it because it always seems too good to be true. Sure. And that's what he said to me. And I made the decision at that point. I was like, okay, I want to go back into this thing. But I want to go back into this thing with grace. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I had the purest motives e- e- either. Because I think some of my motives was is I want to go back and show these jerks the truth.
0: I think we all have to work through that a little bit as we go yeah. through this process of maybe rethinking our theologies or...
1: And it makes me kind of sad because I'm like, guys, we got to eventually move on from just being angry all the time at each other and saying like, we're the cool ones and they're
0: not. It's like, like the pendulum's just swinging in the complete other direction. We're doing the same thing. We've just yeah. got a different enemy.
1: The cycle yeah. that doesn't stop. and We've got to stop the cycle. And that's what my work is kind of focused on now. But I wanted to talk about grace. And tell everybody about grace because like if this grace thing is true, there's a reason to go out and talk about this.
0: And when you started talking, when I started hearing you talk about grace, because I started seeing things online when you were speaking started reading some of the things you were putting out, you were talking about beautiful, extravagant grace. And what I was pretty surprised about is the negative feedback you were getting because of how extravagant of a grace you were talking about, that it was almost too much for at least the conservative Christian circles to handle. You were, and what you were saying was.
1: Well, I mean, I was speaking at like things like Cornerstone music festival and the powers that be there were constantly coming to temper me. This might be too much grace. We have one guy who just focuses all on social justice issues, and we want to calm him down a little bit too. And you're like him, but with grace. You know, and they're always wanted this balance with grace. But this is not just an evangelical thing. I see this tons now with with my progressive Christian friends. Like, they also want an asterisk with grace. You know what I mean? Everybody wants grace to have an asterisk. And I believe that grace is anarchy. And that there's no system or law that can contain it. And it will continuously upset everyone. Because it's always going to be for that person you don't want it to be for. And that's a hard thing to handle. And it's not fair. You're right. Not fair. Like, oh, how's that fair? Guy goes and kills 20 people and gets Jesus. And blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm like, yeah, you're right. He's totally yeah. not fair. But yeah, so I was preaching grace and these guys were all trying to temper me. I mean, I remember at Cornerstone, one guy wanting to fist fight me after I spoke because he thought it was I was just like hanging out licenses the sin and doing all this crazy stuff.
0: The irony that he wanted to get in a fist fight with you about grace is way too good to just pass up.
1: Yeah, it was. And that happened a lot. I mean, I just, I had so many people come after
0: me. So then how did you get to a place where now, you know, you're planting churches and pastoring?
1: It's a process to get through, not grace, grace is boom, but learning how to live a life that accepts others, not just gives yourself grace, but gives others grace. And learns how to argue well and not have that tendency to just scapegoat each other. Because we don't sometimes realize is that oftentimes... We're projecting our own image onto other people. And what we're seeing in them is things that we don't like or things that we have within ourselves.
0: Sometimes our most difficult times in our life ends up being a bit of our superpower. So how interesting that you're in this space in your life. You saw what it looked like when people scapegoated your parents. Now you have this opportunity and this kind of authority to speak into that as a person who experienced it firsthand, not only within your own heart and your own mind, but also when other people have such an easy tendency to do that
1: it's cool it's interesting to see that i still get pushed back but now i get pushed back from the people that i originally ran to which was like the main line and the progressives um i can't even call myself a progressive anymore because you know it's like it was devastating when i started seeing like pastors saying like you can't be a christian if you voted for donald trump you know and if your family voted for donald trump you need to abandon your family i'm going like wait a second i just went through with like gay rights and stuff where we were trying to keep these families from abandoning their kids over this kind of stuff. And then I grew up my whole life being told, like, if you support Bill Clinton or you support this liberal, you know, you're not a real Christian. And now you guys are doing the same thing back to them. And it's just continuously like scapegoating each other and not knowing each other, not having tough conversations. I mean, that's why I love Martin Luther King Jr. has been a huge influence on my life is because the way he saw enemies and his enemies were truly enemies. I mean, they wanted to hang him up from a tree. You know, they eventually killed him. But saying, you know, your enemies aren't your enemies. You know, your enemy is misinformation. He, he would say, you know, I'm called to liberate the white community as much as I'm called to liberate the black community. Because the white community is, is in bondage to these negative, wrong misconceptions and these bad ideals and this hate. And, this, and we've got to set them free, too, because they're trapped within hate. And King would say, you can't let anybody pull you down low enough to hate them. Don't let that happen to you.
0: A lot of times I'll, I'll try to be a voice of reason in people's lives that are making a big change of saying, you have to be really careful as you leave this thing that was hurtful, harmful, devastating to you, that you don't become that same thing that you hate just in a different way, because there's this very strange tendency that we as human beings almost naturally slide into that.
1: And it's not just Christianity.
0: No, it's just everything.
1: We're forgetting that we are a part of it. You know, we're forgetting that our insecurities, our stories, our coping mechanisms are also playing a part in this. Why are we so angry at a church that we were a part of? Are you just, are you angry at yourself for all those days that you woke up and agreed with such horrible stuff? So you have to take a deeper look within yourself and going like, okay, I'm capable of believing those things. Mm -hmm. I'm capable of being that. So sometimes when we're fighting and screaming at everybody else, we're dealing with this undealt with pain inside of us and this harsh reality that, oh, we were that. And we're capable of that. As a matter of fact, I'm still doing that, but I'm just doing it in the name of something else now. And so I think people have to be willing to take a step back and not just look at the people who did them wrong, but also then you do this in AA, which I did get sober, by the way, um, right after I read about grace, I was able to get sober for myself because it wasn't for God anymore. But one of the things you do is when you write this resentment list, and then the next thing you do is you take inventory and you start to realize what was my part in that? Like at first you're like, yeah, I'm writing an enemy list. This is fantastic, you know? And then the next thing you're going like, what was my part in them being that? Hmm. Was it my expectations? Was it my insecurities? Was it my own alcoholism? Was it this? And then you have to own up a little bit of what was on your side of the street and where you played into that and where you amplified that and where you kind of promoted that. And so when you start to do that, it kind of allows you to be a little bit humbled. And allows you to live in a bit of more of a reality and go like, oh, and so you accept it. And so sometimes I would find myself going to those people and apologizing.
0: It's almost getting out of that victim mentality and and accepting your piece of the puzzle as well, because that's where true healing is really going to ultimately happen. Okay. So so moving forward, I mean, the whole world's a little bit of a shit show right now, but moving forward, how do we do this? How do we take steps forward? Because there's got to be better than what we're experiencing right now.
1: I think sympathy and empathy are important. I think reading good books are important and educating yourself and it takes time. That's why patience is is one of the fruits of the spirit. You know, it takes time to learn how to love your enemy. A lot of times you have to do it from afar, but there might be a moment where you're able to sit down with your enemy and your enemy is transformed into a friend. A matter of fact, maybe they stopped doing the stuff they were doing. You know, that was what King, Dr. King was doing a lot of was trying to sit down and have these tough conversations and argue and argue well, not go to war, not cancel somebody, but argue well. And so this takes time. And I think we don't want to take time. We want to, we want the silver bullet. And so to the point that when anyone was to suggest that we do, we shut them down And that's been the hardest part of my work, I guess, over the past year, is a lot of people shutting me down. But one of the great things that's come from my work is that we have a very diverse congregation. And when I say diverse, I mean thinking. So I have liberals, conservatives, and woke, and gay, and lesbian, and transgender, bisexual, and all the other letters in the alphabet, And folks who come to my church, I have, you know, people who voted for Trump, people who hate Trump. And what we do in the community is those aren't end-alls. Those are hard conversations to have. And we work through those things. We don't have a super sin, not even how you vote or how you think, as long as you can argue well. And that's when I say well, I mean with respect And grace. And so that's what we've really, I've really tried to do is do that, but it's still hard work and it's tough, you know, because like my ego, you know, I see a lot of my colleagues and people I've grown up with and and worked with over the years, just going hard left or hard right and getting thousands of likes and popular and writing books and doing all this stuff. I can't do that anymore because I can't scapegoat a whole group of people because I know people individually who are all different and unique and not horrible and not bad. I know a lot of horrible woke people and a lot of nice conservative people. I know a lot of horrible conservative people and a lot of nice woke people. Yeah, I mean, then I can't deny that, you know, and I want to help people live life well. And I want them to do that through critical thinking, not scapegoating and having tough conversations.
0: Special thanks to Jay Baker for being on the show for this episode. I told you it was going to be fascinating, and I do not think I disappointed. If you want to find out more about what Jay is up to, just go to revolutionchurch.org, or you can find him on Twitter and Instagram. Just look up Jay Baker, and he'll be there. Be sure to let me know your thoughts on this episode. You can do that by simply making a comment in the Facebook post that lets you know that this episode was out. Or you can message me on Instagram. Would love to hear your thoughts so we can make this show the best it can possibly be. Of course, you can support this podcast by following us on Apple Podcasts or subscribing anywhere else. Write us a review and give a five-star rating. Until next time, keep walking.